0: This is 950 Feet Behind, a podcast about women standing out and breaking barriers in the business world. This podcast is brought to you by Outbound. Visit sales.io to create your free account today. My name is Leonor and I'll be your host for the season. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of 950 Feet Behind. Today, I'm here with the Chief Sales Officer at The Bridge Group, board member at Revenue Grid, and early pioneer of the inside sales and sales development movement, the amazing Sally Dobby. Thank you so much (laughs) for joining me, Sally. Thank you so much, Laura. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure to host you on the show. So this is the signature question with which I start all my podcast episodes because I want to go all the way back and basically see how your journey began. So the question is, when you were a little girl, what is the first thing you remember wanting to be when you grew up?
1: You know, the very first thing I remember, and I was probably six or seven, is that I wanted to be a teacher. (laughs) Kind of standard thing back then was to be a teacher. And I remember my friends and I, we would have a chalkboard and we actually, you know, were pretending and doing that, uh, that whole thing. But that that was very early on.
0: (laughs) And was that you said that kind of one of the standard ambitions for uh, girls at the time, was it?
1: Was being a teacher. Yep. That was definitely the standard because, you know, and I'm dating myself a lot with that. But, you know, there, there weren't necessarily, I mean, it was kind of the new thing. And I think my generation started where women did go on to go to college. And women did have mm-hmm. careers outside of the house.
0: yeah, became much and more
1: of the norm that, than previous generations
0: no, i I think that's absolutely right. But even thinking uh, when I was a little girl, I still think that teachers, mothers, like doctors, those are kind of the standard ambitions uh, very related to caregiving. And then some other more glamorous jobs such as ballerinas,. Um, <laughs> would come into play as well but the most realistic uh, job ambitions were always in those those fields so as a kid or, or even a teenager did business ever seem like a possibility to you
1: so when i became a teenager and i would say when i was um it was probably around 16 when i got my first job um, It was definitely 16 when i got my first job it was in a restaurant and being a server And so as I got into that, I loved being around people and talking to people. And then I decided that when I went to college, I was going to take management classes, business classes for the hospitality industry, which is what I did. My degree is in hotel and restaurant management, which was a piece of the business school at Michigan State where I went. And so that was... The only thing that actually interests me, i had left the teaching thing behind. And so I would say from that aspect, the business world was very important to me. Even then, it wasn't like, you know, I wanted to go in and be a chef or something of that nature. But yes, some, from the business, business, the management side is what I was interested in. Really, the only thing that I knew about at that time, because I had worked in a restaurant too. So I think it was, was a natural
0: Okay, and was that, so you wanted to pursue it in terms of management, so uh, managing a hotel or a a restaurant, and did you ever actually get around to be in a position related to that?
1: I did. After I graduated from college, I got a job working at um, Weston Hotels, and I was managing um, the restaurant at the Weston Hotels. And it was a very eye-opening experience. (laughs) It wasn't what I thought it was going to be like at all. And so I spent about not quite a year doing that when for a variety of um, interesting developments in that career where I had some run-ins with some of the union workers, um, they moved me into uh, the catering side and doing sales for, you know, events and catering at the hotel. And that was fun for a while. It was different. It was a, um, also the great thing about it was it was a Monday through Friday job (laughs) and regular hours. I didn't have to work any holidays. I mean, that first year when I had to work on Christmas day was like, devastating to me. And I was like, never again, am I doing this? Mm -hmm. So moving into the catering side of the business was, was great. But I really realized back then, if you didn't own a restaurant or a hotel, when you worked out the number of hours that you worked and the pay, (laughs) (laughs) it was less than minimum wage even back then. So it was like, okay, I need to do something different. And I got recruited out of that by one of my first managers at the hotel who left the hotel business as well and went into sales. And so he recruited me into selling insurance. And it was both business as well as personal insurance. So I got out of the hotel industry and did that. And talk about a really tough, tough Job. I mean, that was literally where knocking on doors and door-to-door salespeople came from. It wasn't the home side of it, but selling business insurance. I was, you know, going to an office building and just going from door to door in the office building, trying to sell life and or health insurance benefits to the company. And, And you really learn how to let things roll off your back (laughs) in sales then because I remember to this day walking into one business and there was a sign above the receptionist desk that said we shoot every second every third salesperson and the second one just walked out the door (laughs) Um, (laughs) and you know I, I learned really quickly to use humor to diffuse situations. And I just pointed out, I said, Oh my God, that sign is awesome. I love that. That's great. Probably didn't use the word awesome. Cause that wasn't a, a word used back then, but I just, you know, I said something to the fact, I think your sign is hysterical. Hey, can I talk to X, Y, Z person? And just went with the flow um, and acknowledged it and it actually worked.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So I uh, actually, door-to-door sales, well, are known to be hard and and a lot of rejection. Did you get passionate about sales doing one of the, well, hardest things to do back then?
1: (laughs) Well, I I would say, you know, I I learned that it was very ineffective, or I should Mm -hmm. say inefficient, actually, mostly. And I also was doing the life insurance side, selling to individuals I really did not like that side of the business. I didn't like driving around, especially in the winter months when it was dark outside and trying to find these people's homes and going into these strangers' homes was not something that, that I, appealed to me. So I got an opportunity after nine months to move to California from Michigan. And I was like, okay, this is my perfect excuse to get out of this business, which I knew I did not want to stay into. And so made the move to California and totally switched industries and got a job selling very early computer systems that still had diskettes (laughs) for Olivetti, who was only known for their typewriters. (laughs) But that's how I've made my foray into tech. And so it's been which I loved more of the, the business side, the, the more professional side of selling um, really appealed to me.
0: And how do you think it was selling, well, tech-related products then compared to now where technology is just so much a part of everyone's life?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it was it was tougher, but also I would say that... The market segment I was assigned to, selling to California State and the various age city and county agencies, which are notorious for being, you know, laggards <laughs> mm-hmm. and adopt things the very last that are, you know, technology wise. They're not up to speed on the latest and greatest. Um And so that was challenging. To get them up to speed. And so I left that and went to work before I would say startup companies were in vogue and before we really had a lot of VC investment. I went to work for a mom and pop computer company where we sold everything from computer supplies and computer hardware and specialized software. For high-speed data entry which is really outdated now and nobody needs that (laughs) but at the time it was you know kind of leading edge and i could sell the businesses i could sell i had a wider variety of people than government and i learned to stay away from sorry everybody out there but government sales you know there's definitely some pros and cons to that but but stayed away from that and really developed, I would say, much more my sales skills with that company and moved into leadership roles and really realized the importance of having a CRM to keep myself organized. <laughs> so learned an awful lot in that. I think I was there almost five years before I went and got my official job, where I say it was really my first official job in tech because I went to work for Oracle. And Oracle was only a $50 billion company at the time I went to work for them. And four years later, when I left, it was a billion-dollar company. So it was quite the wild ride, but again, learned a ton, learned as much of what not to do and how to adopt what kind of management style I really wanted to do and be was learning what not to be like <laughs> um, from some senior leaders at Oracle that that I had. But also really, again, saw a lot, learned how to become much more efficient and effective. I mean, back then selling, I literally had three huge binders filled with papers and pages of all of my people I've talked to, the dates I talked to them, what we talked about. And then I had, again, this was so old school because we didn't have a CRM when I first started at Oracle. Mm -hmm. I had an index file that had all the months of the year and then a card that had one through 31. And I would just fill out an index card and put it into the appropriate slot For my callbacks. Okay. And then I'd have to go to my binder and find that company (laughs) and person with all their contact information and do it. So it's amazing what, when you think about how far we've progressed in those years, how inefficient that was and how manual and time consuming. But yet, you know, I still brought in, I want to say my quota. At the last as a wrap was something like $800,000. Okay, that's very impressive. Yeah. So even though we didn't have technology, we were still able to do well. Um, You made
0: it work with what you did. Yes, yes.
1: But it was really, again, learning how to be as organized as possible was the key Mm -hmm. to being successful.
0: And you think that being like starting your career at a time in which things were not as automated and easy actually gave you the tools and and taught you to be resourceful and then tackle things in a better way than the younger generation who was just brought up to have everything easy done for them?
1: I think it definitely helped out a lot and it made me appreciate the technology a lot more. I was one of the, I'd like to believe one of the catalysts for actually developing a CRM in Oracle. And went to management and said, we've got, this is crazy what we have to do. I could be doing so much more and even selling so much more if we had a CRM. Because we had built one at the mom and pop company that Mm -hmm. I had worked for. We had built, you know, our own homegrown one, right? That was better than nothing. And so one of our leaders actually that came into the company agreed and we couldn't get funding and budget. From Oracle to do it, so we took our SE and all the managers and the the team. We all got together and said, "This is what we want the system to be able to do. This is what we want to be able to track. The kind of reports we want out of it. What we need the sales reps to be able to accomplish in it." And in nine months, he developed the system that actually we called Oasis Oracle Automated Sales Information System. And the VP of the team that did this was Tom Siebel. And Tom tried to get Larry Ellison to productize this and sell it. And Larry at the time said, no, nobody would want to buy this. So Tom Mm -hmm. ended up leaving Oracle and developing Siebel systems and selling CRMs. And then Oracle ended up buying Siebel systems like 10 years later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I bet Tom had a good reaction to that. Absolutely. (laughs) Closing the sale, you know, and then leaving the house saying, I told you so. So, (laughs) yes,
1: yes. And now you're paying a lot of money for this.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess the world needs people with vision.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was was amazing.
0: (laughs) And at that time, apart from not having much technology uh, around you, Were there many women in sales and in sales leadership positions?
1: Not in sales leadership positions. One of my promotions, I became a director and I was one of three women directors in Oracle. There were no VP of women at the time. We did have, and I'm trying to remember how many, it wasn't a lot, but I want to say maybe 30 to 40% of the sales team, after I became a leader, became more women. And some of that was because I think at one time we had, well, it was myself and two other guys who were the territory leaders, but then our director at one time was also a woman before Tom came in. And so I was very open and I hired a lot more women on my team than I think the other teams did. But, you know, I was open, like I brought in who became an excellent sales rep, and she's an SVP of sales today. She came in from marketing. You know, I hired people that didn't have a lot of the traditional experience, but had the skills.
0: Okay. And how did you see those skills in them? How did you spot, okay, you're not from sales, but I think you'll do a good job.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it was a lot of the tenacity. Can you handle rejection? how organized are you? How well can you relate to people? What kind of questions, you know, are you inquisitive? Do you ask a lot of questions or do you, is it just kind of all about you? How can you relate to people and understand and how willing are you to take coaching and feedback?
0: Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. And actually that's something I've discussed. Well, in my company and with other people from other companies that sometimes the best salespeople don't necessarily come from sales or have a lot of experience, but they're a lot more open to like improving and and taking like obviously positive and constructive criticism and feedback. That's very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, you know, and I found as I went on in my career and I always hired a lot of people from different backgrounds Some of them had sales experience, but like one of great sales people that I had in another company came from selling wine, you know? And so, and another one I had was an accountant, but he wasn't your typical accountant and he was very inquisitive and he loved the product and he loved being able to help people. And he was awesome. So, you know, I think it's keeping an open mind, we can always teach people. It's really easy to teach people about product and what your product does. You know, that's the easy part. Hmm. So, you know, but but having and finding some somebody that has some of those innate sales skills, the soft skills, is the much tougher part. It's a lot of stuff that you can't necessarily teach people if they don't have it innately.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That makes That makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as you moved up and you said there were not many women in leadership, did you have any thoughts about why there were not many women in leadership? Because that's also been an ongoing discussion here in the podcast on whether it is because women are less likely to take risks or because they're given less opportunities or a combination of both?
1: You know, I I think each management team is really different as to why. If I look at Oracle's management philosophy at the time or the, the people that were in management, it was much less or it was much more about just, you know, that's not a role for women. It was definitely Mm -hmm. the good old boy network. And, you know, and then I went to a smaller company after Oracle, Network General, which has since been bought a couple of times. And I think McAfee maybe have bought them at one time. But the management, the CEO of the company and his wife was very actively involved in the company. So totally different perspective, a much gentler, kinder company, they actually provided management training. It's the first time I ever had management training. Actually a lot about, you know, how do you interview? What can you say? What can't you do? It was pretty amazing and phenomenal for such a small company. There was about a $30 million company at the time, what they did, but they were very open. There were a lot of women in leadership roles there. And it it all stemmed from again, really the top and and sort of their openness and how they view things. So I you know I think that again it, it's very different depending on who the leadership team is and their openness.
0: Yeah, to absolutely. It. And it's also unfair to say that well women are more risk averse as a whole, right? Because there are women there yeah. are women there aren't and, and the same with men.
1: Right. We just have a different way of doing things which I think sometimes is you know a lot of men don't understand And again, maybe it's that softer nature coming out where we may ask a lot more questions first and try to get to know somebody. I think in general, women typically do. Although I have known some women over my career, they basically felt that to survive as a sales leader in a man's world, they had to make themselves appear more like a man and not stand out and not be different. I mean, even down to their dress, you never saw them wear a skirt or a dress. It was always a pantsuit back when, (laughs) when we used to get dressed up and go into the office, (laughs) Uh, you know? And so again, they didn't want to stand out. They didn't want to call attention to the fact that they were were a woman. And to me, that was really sad because I think we have a lot of Great assets typically as women that lend themselves well to leadership and do sales. And so, if you downplay those, I think that that, you know, hinders what your success can be. As a matter of fact, I've had men over the years say, Okay, I want to hire more women. I think women are much better in sales. And the data has come out to show maybe not much better, but they're better, you know, in sales. Um, They meet quota more often, those kinds of stats. But You know, it is hard to find women in sales. And so that was always, you know, you got to think outside the box. You can't just go to your own network to find more women or people of color to get involved and have diversity within in sales. It it does require being creative and doing things differently than how we've always done them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But that's that's the way of progress, right? If we're always, doing... Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember yeah. being a little girl and my mom said, if you always do the same actions, they'll always have the same consequence.
1: I was yeah. just going to say one of my favorite quotes is, you know, what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. <laughs> it's <laughs> the same thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. If I keep following my hiring processes and only brought in, you know, this demographic. Why do I think all of a sudden that's going to change if I keep doing the same thing?
0: Exactly, exactly. That there's no way it will, right? Right, right. I, I, right. I think it's harder to see when you're doing it yourself, but from an outsider's perspective, Respect, I did,
1: right.
0: it I clear. Think,
1: yes, and I think that that is one of the keys for a lot of companies is getting outside objective viewpoints on a regular basis because. As you said, you get so down in the weeds and it's hard to see what we're doing is causing this. And so when you bring in some outside objective, you know, overseeing and looking at things with different eyes, all of a sudden the world opens up and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I mean, it's not rocket science all the time about some of the stuff that needs to be done, but it's being able to see it. You know, yeah. we do, we are doing the same things and therefore we're, that's why we don't have many women. I mean, it always drives me nuts when, um, you know, part of my job is I'm sell, right? And I also do sales development work. I do it all. And so when I research a company and I look at their executive leadership <laughs> and it's all the same profile, it's like, ah you know not again (laughs) yeah yeah how do I tell these people you know on first call hey (laughs) you know and there's there's an amazing amount of talented women people of color that are out there that could add a whole lot to your company and make it even better than what it is but you got to open up your eyes and take different actions
0: yeah I, I definitely agree with that and uh, minorities, well, I guess we'll touch this later, but the world is changing, but maybe not at, at the speed that those in power are trying to make us believe it is changing for us to settle a bit and believe Yes, it's time yeah. to drop the fight.
1: Yeah, I think one of your early on questions that I didn't answer was, you know, along the lines of how has it changed? And so, you know, it has gotten better, but I would say baby steps better. I think over the last few years, there's definitely been a lot more attention brought to this. And, you know, you see companies that are trying. So they're hiring, you know, a chief diversity officer, right, which is awesome. And it's a start, but you've got one person and it's for a company that has maybe a thousand, maybe five thousand employees, how is that one person in a large company like that going to impact change? Right? It's really hard. And so it's a it's a small start, but there's so much more that needs to be done than just having one person in that role.
0: It should be part of the everyday life and everyday culture at a company,
1: right? Exactly. Exactly. And so how does that one person impact that I think is going to be the key to how successful this role can be. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens from that, but yeah, there's definitely a lot more attention. There's a lot more to this. And I think You know, I hear a lot of times that, well, it's the younger generation that is really pushing this. And I say, my my view of the world is strictly coming from tech, um, Mm -hmm. from software companies. And I say yes and no. I see an awful lot of mid-20 guys that are getting promoted. And when they build their teams, they look all exactly like them. And they create almost like a frat-like environment. Whereas I see a number of people closer to my generation, especially men who maybe didn't even think of this before, but all of a sudden they've got daughters. They're girl dads, right? And they have daughters and their daughters have graduated from college and now they're out in the workforce. And now the aha moment <laughs> has, reached them. has hit them <laughs> and they're looking to acknowledge this and make changes themselves
0: i think that's in one way one of the easiest way to explain to a man about you know equality and and inclusion is when they have a daughter yes and all of a sudden all those things oh imagine if this happened to To your your sister or now imagine if it happened to your daughter who's here who exists
1: how would you feel how would you feel yeah do you think it's right (laughs) <laughs> you know is that how things should be judged and is that how your daughter should you know is this going to affect her her career and her promotion path you know is that right so yeah it 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 puts a whole new perspective on things so I, I think we've got you know a little bit of both generations that still need a lot of uh a lot of adoption but mm-hmm. we're getting there on both ends at least we're bookending it somewhat. <laughs> you know, yeah. there are there are definitely some on the younger generation. I don't mean to paint everybody one way or the other, but we, we still have challenges in all generations and there are making strides in all generations as well.
0: Definitely, definitely. And um, I, I was reading something very interesting, actually, the other day, saying that we are still raising our boys like it's the 1950s, but we are raising our girls like it's 2022. So then, that difference in the way we bring up our children then transports into the workplace and into the way they nope. live their life, their relationships, yeah. and what you said about the guy bringing guys that are exactly like him seems to fit with that perfectly.
1: That does. That's that's a. I, I love that that statement because. When I think think on it <laughs> um, and, and think of friends, you know, mm-hmm. um, and their children, yeah, that that's it. <laughs>
0: when, when you think of friends that you won't invite to listen to the podcast. <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> don't listen to them.
0: <laughs> I've been in this podcast, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fascinating statement. And i I think yeah. there's a lot to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not mine. Well, I, I read it somewhere. So yeah, if anyone yeah, wants no, to I, quote I me and, yeah. and saying that um, I'm trying to steal words out of someone's mouth, I am not. I just cannot remember Definitely, where yeah. I read it. And I apologize to the author, but you're very right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I know. I love that. You know, and I think back, I mean, even I guess my mom was a trendsetter when I was growing up because both she and my dad, though, made me believe I could do and be anything I wanted to be. Right. That. You know, I mean, my mom didn't go to college, but she was, it was just an automatic. There was no questions about it, no discussion. It was just an automatic that my sister and I were going to go to college. And, you know, so when I had my daughter, that was, it's just an automatic. You're going, you can be whatever you want. I don't care, but you're going, you're going to get this background. And surprisingly enough, she is in, she's an account manager in tech sales as well. So it's like, (laughs) yeah
0: okay this is great <laughs> you're like passing my back you know the screen yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no i could never do that she wouldn't like that
0: <laughs> no 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 you just low-key low-key another person yeah. who you have to tell not to listen to the podcast because otherwise right right afraid. right <laughs> <laughs> right right amazing uh, our time is almost uh running up which is very unfortunate and again making me question my decision to make these episodes around half an hour like it's definitely too short so there'll be a season two to catch up with everyone <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, statement you made about your parents actually leads me to my last question so now you're in a c-level position you are a top sales influencer people look up to you you are a sales leader Did you ever think, even with parents believing you could be anything when you entered the sales world, that you could get to where you are now?
1: No, because I never actually envisioned necessarily my career taking this path. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think keeping an open mind and trying different things, because again, you know, I graduated in hotel and restaurant management and here I am. (laughs) You know, nothing to do with that. So, you know, keep an open mind as to, you know, and, and learn from it. And really, is this something I'm passionate about? Or it's not what I thought it was going to be for whatever reason, and keep looking and searching for what you get passionate about. But the one thing I do want to say to other women out there is, you know, one thing that I really enjoy is being a mentor. And I'm not just a mentor to women, although I specifically do try to mentor women. I do want to be equal if, guys that are open to mentorship <laughs> I am I am here for you but I do find women are a lot more open to it and are searching out for it and so I am a mentor to you know some informal, some more formal and to me that is paying it back and making sure again that that we are supporting each other. I never understand some of these women that I hear about in roles that are cutting down other women and doing things. I just don't get it. You know, the world is big enough, the business environment is big enough that there's room for all of us in whatever it is we want to do. And we should be, you know, we should have, instead of the good old boys network, where's the good woman's network? (laughs) Um, you know, we need to be uplifting other women and more supportive anyway. Yes. Yes. Something that is, um, is really big for me and that I enjoy
0: I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think it would be much further ahead if us as women also took the time to empathize with and, and support and help other women grow instead of having taken that competitive advantage that there's still so much more men than women that we're going to like have to undermine all other women's efforts to become someone which is completely outdated and completely untrue as well. Exactly.
1: So I thank you for doing this and providing another avenue where Hopefully, you know, it can help women succeed and grow in what they want to do.
0: Well, thank you for joining me once again and for sharing your experience and also uh, your views. I'm sure that our listeners, men and women, will be able to learn a lot from it. And as for our listeners, don't forget to tune in next week, where I'll be joined by the founder at Performance Sales and author of Look Me in the Eye, Julie Hansen. I'll see you all there.